0: Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stellenbosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Before I get going, I Annette, will you share your words that you had in prayer? Sorry, I did not prepare you at all, but I like to do this. You'll realize. <laughs> now she must remember. In pre-service, she had a word, and when she shared the word, the, the image that she saw, um, my spirit smiled. Amen? Because I, it just sort of aligned with what I had prepared in the week. Praise God. So when we were prepared we this morning, um, I just got a vision of like a safe. Many of you that have those high school movies will know that when they get the a safe and they get a kick. kick. And that, that this morning, as we share the word, um, that it'll be a final click. And that that door will swing open. You know, we hear a lot of information, we hear a lot of word, but today that we have like a rain of word, and that would be that final click that opens that door, mm. and uh, that that is our heart, right? And so um, that we are able to manifest the Holy Spirit. And like we, there was a scripture shared this morning how we animate the Holy Spirit. Sure. What a beautiful phrase. I mm. love that that we animate Him, that He gets to live through us. And so that when that goes over, we get to animate him and, and share his God's love, share his character and all of that good stuff. Amen. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Let's give a round. You see, if I, um, if I prepare people, then um, it's not in faith. <laughs> no, sorry, I just thought in worship to ask you and then I couldn't get to you. So um, what I want to share today is um, we're still busy and, and we actually just kicked off on the series of finding Jesus in Genesis. And last week we looked at um, what that means and we saw how uh, really Jesus is found in the beginning um, and in the end. And then sort of that gives us hope for life. I mean, I was encouraged by last week's message um, myself just because whatever, if it's the end or the beginning or it's anything in between, we're in him. So I don't know where you are, I know situations. situation, some of you. Um, like, but it's okay because you're in God. Amen? Like, He's in you. He's going to be there till the end. He was there from the beginning. Um, and that's really where we find ourselves. And um, even the great Solomon said that he couldn't understand this, but now through the Holy Spirit, we can. It says in uh, Proverbs 3.11 that who can understand the end from the beginning? Um, and then Revelation tells us the end from the beginning is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the Aleph, and the Tough. Um, and the Aleph and the Tough really even speaks of um, is all of the language. Of God. He's all, he's all of who God is. And um, I want to ask you, and um, yes, we are a grace church, but what is the first commandment? <laughs> That's the greatest commandment. The first commandment, and we'll look at it from Exodus 20. Exodus 20. So, uh, like Pastor Isaac said, it's not good to murder. Okay, so do not murder is not Old Testament. It's it's good not to murder. Okay? Um, we know the law has been fulfilled, but um, there's still something that we need to prioritize. So Exodus 20 and verse 2 says, I am the Lord, your God, which has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You will have no other gods before me. Okay, So that's the first commandment. You will not have another God. Now, what I want to chat to you this morning about, just like I've uh, posted on WhatsApp yesterday, and like I've said already, who is Jesus? And um, what I realized when I shared a word is, we all have an answer. We probably have a good answer. Thing is, you probably have more than one answer. Because I'll have a few answers, and I'll give you some of them. So Jesus is the express image of the Father. So he's an exact copy or replica. Mm, That's wrong. Okay, so you're going to have to listen... Finally, you're going to have to be intent with morning. So who is Jesus really? So he is the son of God. Yes. What does that mean? Who is Jesus really? Um, and the question then, is he God or is he not God? Is he God or is he a representation of God? Is he God or is he telling someone telling us about God or telling us who God is? Um, and you see, we, we, have a, we have an answer. We have a probably a good answer. We have a good few answers, um, but there's... Something that, if we are not hundred percent sure, 100 percent versed in this, answering this question, my Lisa said about questions, I want to show you a quick video of uh, how a pastor who's evangelizing on the street gets ripped apart because he doesn't have this answer. He is not solid in this answer. So if you can play the video for us uh, just quickly, it 's literally just a minute I know um, what I 'm talking about. the question. We just passed that. You should have no other gods but, but God. You should have no other gods but God. That means no man that God said. That means you should not worship Jesus. How many gods do you have? Just, just one, just one. So oh, you're right. We should only worship God. You're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. Okay, that's not, I don't break that. We worship only God. Okay then. So who's Jesus? Jesus is the revelation of the invisible God. So is Jesus a man? Absolutely. So he's not God? He's the, rep- like I just said, he's the revelational image of the invisible God. But he's not God, correct? Huh? He's the one who revealed God to us. He's not God the Father. We know not he perfectly reveals the invisible God. He is God with us. Is he God or is he not God? He's the Word of God who reveals so, God. So Jesus is a picture of God. Yes, he's a picture, and, and it's distinct from God. It's not God, but yet he's revealing God. This reveals me, but this is not me. See how important this is. Who is Jesus? Because we want to reach that lady. We want to see her in eternity, but we don't have good answer. And that's really um, something that we need to then obviously get from the word, because like, there's so many opinions, and like he had the answers we had, didn't he? He's a picture of God. He's a representation of God. He's a man sent by God. Uh, All of those things. So, back to Exodus 20, and that's where the the video started, is you shall have no other gods but me. The word no other, some scholars say that a different way to translate this would have been that you should not have even one other god. Okay, So, no other, not even one other, which we'll agree with, and we'll all say amen to it. Um, So, I want to take you through some verses that you probably know, and then we're going to have to... uh, it's not jump over hoops, but there's some verses that we're going to have to just quickly look at, in terms of um, how do we deal with that? How do we answer those? So I want to go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, and we're answering, who is Jesus? Now we know he's the great shepherd, don't we? He's the shepherd of the flock. He's the chief shepherd, we would say, but is he God? Okay, um, no, it was a late night, and you probably say yes or no or yes. I- You have to, like, this is the last click, like Annette's word showed us. Like, we're almost there unlocking everything that we have in Christ. But we need this to get it there, to get it through, to see it home. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lust pastures. He leads me to refreshing waters. Who is the Lord? He is your shepherd. Who is the Lord? The Lord there is the word, the Jewish name for God, Jehovah. Jehovah is my shepherd. So no, none other than God. God is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. Um, Jehovah in the Brown Driver, Brown Driver Briggs definition says, the existing one, the proper name for the one true God. Okay, so this shepherd is no one else but God. You see that? The Lord is is my God. And I think somewhere we, we, we sort of have God is God and the Lord is Jesus. Uh, I'll just be honest this morning. You, you can decide if you want to be honest with yourself. We, we, we look at it just a little bit maybe skew. For good reason. In the Bible some translations doesn't help us. The King James says of verse 3 He restores my soul. He leads me In the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So what does God do? What does the shepherd do? What does the Lord do? Same person, same God, same Godhead. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they reassure me. So God does what? He deals with darkness. God deals with darkness. Now, I want to ask you, who is God? And then who is Jesus? Because Isaiah 9 verse 1 is where we get our answer as well. It says from um, verse 1, The gloom will be dispelled for those who are anxious. What a promise. Huh? The gloom, the darkness, will be dispelled for those who are anxious. In earlier times, he humiliated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But now he brings honor to the way of the sea The region beyond the Jordan, and then the NET says the Galilee of the nations, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Where did Jesus preach? In Galilee. This is an amazing testimony of restoration through Christ, amen? Through Jesus who walked the the, the shores of Galilee, and I like this translation that says Galilee of the Gentiles or Galilee of the nations. So, what was Galilee of Israel, he turned into Galilee of the nations, he turned into the resting place of. Uh, for the nations now we must realize one thing when we read the bible this is going to help you we need to realize that the person who wrote whatever we're reading had intent and we cannot change their intent we cannot put into their words what we th- what they didn't mean i'm going to say that again we cannot put into their words what they did not mean so when we read the, the book of isaiah for one this is important We see clearly that it speaks about Christ to come, but we must realize that the prophet Isaiah often wrote to the king. He often answered the issue at hand, the danger that was lurking outside the city wall. So they're speaking into the situation, but they're also prophesying into eternity, okay? or the eternal truth that is to come. Anyone with me? Because we read Isaiah 61 and we say, hey, this is about Jesus. But Isaiah didn't tell the king Jesus is coming. He gave him hope for the situation. And in that he spoke of eternity. Now some places there you can say, okay, this is so clear, so clear it is. But often we must just go and see who is the prophet writing to? Who is the prophet speaking to? The same with the psalmist. The psalmists are very emotional. Anyone realize that? Okay, they're up and they're down, and you read, and then they want to go on the hills, and then they're down in the valleys, and then they want to, like, save everyone, and then they want to kill everyone, and then they want to hit babies' heads against the the rocks, and, like, if this is in your Bible, if you didn't read it, it doesn't mean that God is in every word that is in your Bible. One example is where Job has four friends, and then God shows up, and he speaks to them, and he actually rebukes them for what they said. So a lot of what we read in the first, how many chapters of the book of Job is not according to God's heart. It's not according to God's truth. It's not what God would have said if God was there. Because when God shows up, he says, hey, that's not me. So the problem for us is, the challenge is, you need to read through all of it. Job is quite a lengthy book to get through. (laughs) But it's amazing if you get to the end. You don't get confused about God if you read all the book. It's when you read little pieces. One of the most dangerous things on your cell phone, do you know what it is? Verse of the day. You thought something, I'm going to say something else, didn't you? <laughs> Verse of the day is one of the most dangerous things because it's self-centered. It's about like, what do you have now? But you don't read the context, you don't know who's speaking, you don't know what they're meaning, you didn't do the study, maybe you did. Then that, I mean, I'm not saying it won't change, it, it can change your life. A, a drop of God's truth can change your life. But why only a drop? Why not jump into the full ocean and get everything that he's meant? So we're in Isaiah and we're looking at some prophecy. Verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. I mean, that's just, this is awesome. This is talking about us. Amen? You have enlarged the nation. You have given them great joy. They rejoice in your presence as harvesters rejoice. That's how we celebrate salvation, as harvesters Didn't Jesus say the harvest field is ready, but the harvesters are few? So when we celebrate, we celebrate in like harvesters. Why? Because we are harvesting. As warriors, celebrate when they divide up the plunder. Let me make one ruckly comment, and I promised myself I won't make many this morning. One thing that I really give the Bokka credit for is the way they risk their lives, literally, to give hope to the nation. That's the purpose why they play. I mean, see, I said it afterwards, and we know that. Christian, you have an eternal hope. What are you risking? If they are risking everything to give hope to a nation who's divided, hope to a political system that's corrupt, hope to someone to get up this morning with a smile on their faces, all of that is good, but we have eternal hope. You know, the Bible often says that we should... Value or honor those who have risked or hazarded, is one of the words translated, their lives for Christ. Now, I'm looking at those guys and like jumping in the air and like falling on the ground and getting hits against the head and like getting up again. And, and I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I mean, I played rugby. I know what that feels like. And you just you're in the zone and you, 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 you love it. But we have a battle. We're in a war. We are we are there to, to conquer. We are there to. Um, we, it's not about risking your life; it's about the purpose, and we have an eternal purpose. Now the problem is, like I think Lorenzo said this morning, for them it's 80 minutes; for us it's 80 years, because we need to continuously, continuously, continuously keep on. I mean, and that's just something that we can ponder on, and say, hey, if they can do it for, for something temporary, because let's be true, that's even though it, if it if it lasts a generation. It's not eternal. Now you have enlarged the nation. You've given them great joy. They rejoice in your presence as harvesters harvesters rejoice, as warriors celebrate when they divide up the plunder. Isaiah 9 verse 4 says, For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of the oppression, as in the day of Midian. For unto us, now we're getting serious, verse 6, a child is born. Jesus, isn't it? A son is given. Jesus, isn't it? Okay, And the government, the ruling, the reigning will be on his shoulder. So meaning he's going to carry the burden. And his name, now this is where it gets really interesting, shall be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting. I thought it's the son. I thought it's the child. Now it's the father. It's mighty God, prince of peace. You see... We have, and I'm talking about me have, we have sort of divided this verse and sort of said, but this is true about the son and this is true about the father. Where this verse clearly says that we are talking about the one who is to be born. And he has the government on his shoulders and his name will be wonderful. Not wonderful counselor, wonderful. Counselor. The word here in the NET speaks about a wonderful advisor, an extraordinary strategist, a wonder of a counselor. Listen to this: the one who plans miraculous thing. The one who plans a singular, miraculous thing. What is the miraculous thing? Death, burial resurrection. That was what proven what was planned from the beginning. Mighty God, OK? Now the, the, the footnote that I've studied out says this title as a reference to God confronts Isaiah's readers with the divinity of the promised child. So now he says like this is not just someone political, this is someone this is God. <laughs> Let me give you the answer. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Amen? Everlasting Father. Um, the Son will be the Father because they are the same. One true God, Prince of Peace. Now, um, we have to we have to get this, because if someone asks us in the street who is Jesus, your answer is going to determine their eternity. Think about it. That lady on that video—I don't know if she's saved yet—but she didn't get saved that day. Luke two eleven. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is who, Christ, the Lord. Christ who. Who's the Lord Jehovah, Christ the one true God. That's how you should read it. Okay, for you is born Christ the one true God. Now we looked at it last week and we said, well, in the beginning John one one was what, the Word, and the Word was God and the Word was. With God. Okay, so who was born? The Word, isn't it? How was he born? He took on flesh. He took on humanity. He took on the body, but it is God in the body. Okay? So that's why he's representing the Father, because he's representing Himself. Now we'll get to two verses that I will not mention now because then you're gonna keep on thinking about them that we have to we have to answer to get through this. Okay? So Luke one Verse 31. Luke 1:31, it says, And behold, you will conceive. So the angel is speaking to Mary, and your womb, you'll conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, so Jesus means Jehovah, God our Savior, God the one true God, is salvation. So that's who God is now representing Himself as, the one who is the Savior. You shall call his name Jesus because he is Jehovah, the one who saves. He is Jehovah, the Lord our salvation. Now let me give you one of these difficult verses, 2 Corinthians 5:19. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19. And it speaks about a separation if we read it in the King James. And it says that is that God was where In Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and is committed to us the word of reconciliation. Let me share with you how I used to read this. So I thought, well, it's nice for God to send his son to do his dirty work. It it, it bothered me, because how can I trust, I think I shared with you last week, When I played rugby, or this was somewhere in, um, this was in ministry school, so, so many places. In ministry school, like when I played rugby, we had, Mondays was fitness. Okay, you were still enough from the weekend, but you were doing fitness, and we knew it. But what bothered me always was the coach who stood on the line with his whistle and didn't run one meter with us. Which is fine, but the problem was, how would he know how tired I am? It's easy to blow the whistle, and I cannot put one foot in front of the other, yet he just says, go, go, go. The problem is then if we see God as that type of coach or mentor, he is not in the fight with us. He is just sending Jesus to fight the fight on his behalf. Now this word helped me, and it said, but God was there with Jesus. I'm giving you my progressive revelation here this morning. God was there with Jesus. So I felt better about God the Father. At least He didn't just send Jesus, He supported Him. He didn't just make Him run up and down, He ran with Him. Okay. The problem is the word in. So there are many ways that we can translate that word. The Greek word is en. But one of the ways that we can translate that word is altogether. So God was altogether Christ. Isn't that better? God, who is Christ. Because Colossians 2 says that all of who God is, is not copied in Christ. It is in Christ. The fullness of the Godhead now in a body. Colossians 2 verse 9. So that God who was... See, even though God is there with him, it's like, it's still... Separation. It doesn't get the Muslim saved. But God took on flesh. He who knew no sin, God became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, it's not new news this morning, but it's refined. It's not new like this. is, We know this is the vault. We know this is where the treasure is. But what I'm helping you this morning is just that last click to say, Listen, I do not lack anything. Because you do not have a third or second great God in you. Because we have God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. Or depending on, if you grew up charismatic, it's God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. And if you grew up non-charismatic, it was God the Father, God the Son, and then the Spirit is for some but not in this place, amen? So the only way that we can really be united into God, who is Christ, is to be united in the Spirit. Now Romans says, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ is none of His, but we know that God is a Spirit. So the other complication that people have is now, who is God, who is the Holy Spirit, and what's the Spirit of Christ? It's different terminologies for the same thing. Because the word Christ means anointed. And if we read it like that, God was altogether the anointed. Reconciling the world to himself. Because otherwise the word himself needs to be plural. So there they got it right. Unless you see that God wanted people with him, so he sent Jesus to bring the people to him. But now God came, and he took Again, we know, you'll say amen, hopefully. I told the team, don't worry, it's not a, um, what's the word I used, Alicia? Controversial message this morning. But it's powerful. It's powerful. Okay, because you can answer the question, who is Jesus, after today. We have it from John 1, and we should not confuse it after this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. That's where, we, that's where the separation starts. You know, the right hand of the Father, it's not a position, it's a statement or a term of authority. We have a problem because in our Western mindset, I would say Harman is my right hand, which doesn't mean he is my right hand, he is he's, he's the guy who helps me get things done. That's not what it means. For Jesus to be at the Father's right hand. Okay, what it means is Jesus is the execution... In, no, no, you see, I, I need to even help myself here. He is not the execution of God's power. Jesus is God executing His power. You see, that it's, it's subtle. But it's God in the flesh. Because one John 1:14 1, says, "Now the Word, and we said this last week, took on flesh." So who is the Word? We need to not. It's not a debate. <laughs> We're not taking votes. We're reading the Bible. The Word was God. So from John 1 and John 1:1 and 1:14, it's 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 done. But there's some verses, then, like I said to you now, that we need to get across. One of them is uh, one that Jehovah Witnesses also get wrong, is Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Philippians 2 and verse 5. We will start there. And it's interesting. Okay, Today's a bit of a, a teach. you ready for it. I know only the serious people come to church after the World Cup final, so I don't need to be excited. I can go deep. Okay. So what does it say? It, it says there, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? Let this mind, who being, now this is where we get it, in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Difficult, isn't it? Speaks of separation. The NET says there that though, though who thought he existed in the though he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. And really what this is is, is trying to convey, and the English is really struggling here, is that God gave up his riches. The the, the heavenlies, the, and he became one of us. The king became the slave. Okay. The Greek term translated, form, that's where we, we, we need to answer. You agree with me? Because if I'm, if I'm in the form on the image, that's the other one that we get. If I'm, he's in the form of God, then he looks like God, but he isn't God. Okay? So, the Greek term translated, form, indicates a correspondence with reality. Thus, the meaning of this phrase is that Christ was the reality of god christ was truly god so that it's actually saying that christ came as the reality of god not form as we understand it in something that is made in his image and likeness that's the deep one i know You get it? He is the reality manifested of who God is. He is God translating himself in a language that you and I can understand, which is carnal before the cross. That's why Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because you are seeing the Father. He says to Thomas, don't you know this? He's not saying that I'm only representing the father. Remember that's what that preacher said in that video. And wasn't good enough to get the Muslim lady saved. Psalm 22. Well, let's go back quickly to John 1. Sorry. So, the Jehovah Witnesses have one Bible, one translation, and they say, in the beginning, the Word existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was divine. It doesn't say the Word was God. So, divine. Angels can be divine. The Greek word there is Theos, which is God. Like, if you go study theology, you study God. Theos. The Word is God. It is not that Jesus was divine that gets you saved. It is that He was God. The exceeding God is theos translated. So we look at two, um, Philippians 2 verse 5. Sorry, I want to give you the message translation as well. Because the message gets it wrong. Philippians 2 5 and the message says, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he'd rather had to cling to the advantage of that status no matter what. No, not at all. He had equal status with God. No. He was God. You see how subtle the translation can, can miss it. It, trans, it. it speaks of form. It speaks of reality. Thus the meaning of this phrase is that Christ was truly the reality of God. The same Greek word for form, just to help you, we find in Mark 16, 12. Sorry, I'm a bit confused because my iPad is not syncing with my phone, so I'm on my phone now. That's why uh, I'm just missing a beat there. Mark 16, verse 12. This will help you. Sorry, I felt like I prepared better to to get that over. Mark 16 says, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them. (coughs) That helps you. So it's not another person. So this is Jesus resurrected. So he is the same person... Ooh, get excited about the word! I want to just in another form. So Jesus is God in another form. Does that help anyone? Now, Jesus who is the representation of God, Jesus who is God, translated, Jesus who is the reality of God, Jesus who is God in the flesh, hangs on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And right there, you can come with your ten-pin bowling, number ten, and everything I just said, and it falls over. Because we do not understand Middle Eastern ancient Middle Eastern culture. When Jesus writes in the sand, there's many sermons, and you can find all of them, who will tell you what they think he wrote. Whether it was the names of their mistresses or their sins, or like some of you have heard those. What he's doing is, by writing in the sand, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. Because in, in one of the prophets, sorry, I don't have it this morning, it says that those who reject the fountain of life, their names will be written in the sand. So he's very subtly reminding the very scholars who know exactly what he's talking about. You and I don't, because we don't know the Old Testament like we should. He's writing their names in the sand. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Don't bring your opinion. Okay? On um, Wednesday night in ministry school, we spoke about Timothy. And... um, one of the feedback that we had after it was like, Timothy did not have an opinion. And I said, no, 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 we all have an opinion. What made Timothy great is that he didn't voice his opinion. It's easy not to have an opinion, but if to, to have an opinion and if it's contrary, to keep it to yourself, that's humility. So we all have opinions about what we think they wrote and how and depending on your background, but we should let the Bible interpret the Bible. Then we, we're done with opinions, okay? So he writes the names in the sand because it transfers to those who reject. And if you look at the feast, he is the fountain of life. He is the fulfillment of the feast where he's doing it. And they know it, and that's why they leave one by one. Okay, so think about that. That will help you. When Jesus hangs on the cross, Jehovah, who is salvation, and he says, God, how and why have you forsaken me? So what he's doing, and I've said it before, but bears repeating, he is quoting Psalm 22. Okay? He doesn't have enough breath or energy to recite it. He quotes it. Now we need to go to Psalm 22. And remember what I said earlier, that every letter written in the Bible is not necessarily 100% representative of who God is or His intent. Even His message. Okay? Because God cannot forsake God. It's, it's just like, then all the other verses that we've just shared, we need to take out of our Bibles. But, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who wrote that? David, the psalmist. He didn't write that about Jesus. That was how he felt in the moment. You see, God uses the beauty of poetry to bring across an amazing prophecy. But he doesn't erase the humanity of David. He actually uses it. So God cannot forsake God. And now some people say, God cannot die, so you had to leave Jesus to die. Jesus never died. His body went to the grave, but he went around for three days preaching. And then what happened is, many people rose from the grave. That's a part we don't really read, and they walked around Jerusalem. So why do you think Joseph told the Israelites to take his bones with to the promised land? Because he wanted to be at the resurrection. It's a far way to walk. Rather let them carry. Why? Because he believed... You see, that's the Old Testament. That's the rich nourishment that we get from the Old, that even Joseph knew what was coming. David knew what was coming, but he couldn't get past himself as much as he wanted to. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I groan in prayer, but help seems far away. From the psalmist's perspective, it seems that God has abandoned him, for he fails to answer this cry for help. Did God abandon him? No. Did God abandon David? Come on. Who's, who's with me? Who's ever felt like that? God, where is When is the ink now going to... Come quickly. <laughs> Maybe some of us have written that in our journals. Did God leave you? No. Okay. For me, that brings harmony. Because let's read on. And I'm going to skip right to the end, just for time's sake. You can go... And it is... <laughs> I mean, it's so close to what happened to Jesus that it is prophecy. But we can't not see the emotion. I mean, for dogs have compassed me. They assembled the wicked and enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 16. I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me. David's talking about himself. So the word pierced they... It's, Not necessarily referencing the cross, because you know what, the cross wasn't invented when David wrote that. But you ever felt like a word, and someone speaks a word to you, and you just know it applies in a totally different context, same word. Like this, David felt, and if you do the word study in the Hebrew, he felt like someone pinned him down, like wrestling. And then the King James went a step further and they used the word pinned down as pierced. So it's not that what he said was not the Holy Spirit inspired, but that's what he experienced. And through that experience and then verbalizing that, he is now giving word to a prophecy of the one who is the son of David, isn't he? My God, my God... Why have you abandoned me? That's before the cross, the state of humanity. Hopeless, anxious, in the dark. Because it's not true that God has abandoned us, but we're not aware of it. Remember Isaiah 9 verse 1, that he gives light to those who are anxious in darkness. Um, Someone told me this. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was one of you. That in the... um, The Red Indians, one of the tribes, have a tradition where you become a man. And what they would do is they would take this young lad and they would do some things with him and then they would take him into the bush. And he would have to spend the night alone, um, like with his eyes closed, basically. And he would hear wolves and whatever. And his purpose was that if you can survive the night, then you a man in our tribe. Okay that sounds blacker, no. But what they didn't what the what you wouldn't know until you open your eyes the next morning is that your dad was right there keeping you safe all night. But because you were blindfolded you didn't no. So wasn't God there keeping David safe the entire time? But because he was blindfolded by his emotions, he wasn't aware of his presence. Do you think that young guy would feel alone? Lonely? Afraid? Scared? Anxious? Unnecessarily so? That's how the life is without God. Without the enlightenment, the illumination of who God is, and God is not distant, God is not far, God is in us. God who knew no sin became sin, He took on flesh so that we could be like He is. Not a second great God, not a third great God, but the only God. Now listen to what Jesus, I believe, is actually telling on the cross, or referencing, is the last two verses, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but for time's sake we don't gonna, we're not going to study all of it, he says in verse 30 from Psalm 22. So where does he start? He starts in despair, in darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So many Psalms are like this. Then you have this buildup of truth, this buildup of reality, realization, who God is. And then he says, a posterity or a seed, a remnant shall serve him. It will be counted of the Lord to the next day." Generation, they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. And this is what he has done. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, not blaming God. He's hanging on the cross speaking hope. He says, guys, you look at me now and you think, why have God forsaken you? Didn't they say that? If he was the son of God, why is he not calling angels forth? If He was the Son of God, why is He not getting off the cross? Because it's not about getting off the cross, it's getting out of the grave. Think about the victory is not to get off the cross. The victory is to get out of the grave. So He had to go into the grave to get out of the grave. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated. He is now resting in the power of who He is. God, the victorious. The Almighty. And now there's a seed, and I'm part of them, who serves Him. I get emotional. Because God took on flesh to save me. And I can stand here today and I can preach. Victory. I can preach righteousness, yet not my righteousness, but His. Not my sins, but His Savior. Not my faults, but His victory. Not my weaknesses, but His strength. Not my doing, but His. Not my wisdom, but His. Not my temporal efforts, but His eternal salvation. And I will celebrate like a harvester. I will celebrate like a warrior. I will declare His righteousness unto a people that when David wrote this was not yet born. And they sitting in front of me this morning. I will declare what He has done. God was hanging on a cross in a body and saying, guys, this is not the end. Read the psalm. Read it till the end. Read the psalm. Get up from where you are. Look up. Believe. Have hope. Start trusting. Start moving. Start speaking. Start getting to know what Paul prayed, that you would be enlightened. You know, Philemon six is so important because it says our faith doesn't become effectual when we have more faith. It says our faith becomes effectual when we acknowledge when we come under, submit to the truth of who is in us. And this morning I want to share with you there's no one but God in you. No one but God. The fullness now in a body. And when we look back, we see God who was in the beginning. And we look forward, we see God who's in the end. And when we look to ourselves, we see not as the world sees, not according to the flesh, Because we once looked at Jesus according to the flesh. And I trust after today, like Paul wrote, that thus we see Him no more. He is God, our Savior. Paul writes to Timothy and he concludes with this in 1 Timothy 3.16. He says it without controversy. Great is the mystery. This is it. Guys, there's nothing else. This is it. God was manifested in the flesh. It's not a debate. We don't need to be controversial about it. He was justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up in glory. And now we share that glory with Him. Christ in you. God in you, the hope of glory. Not like the spring box is going to come back and restore hope for a season. No, the hope which was hoped for is now manifested. Eternal glory on the inside of the believer. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. How can we still wonder about His goodness? That's a finished work if you ever had one. That's an eternal state if you've ever seen one. And now we're invited to preach on the Galilee of the nations. Going out. Being with Him at rest. The blindfold taken off preaching, and proclaiming. Thank you. You can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.co